You are listening to 102.3 WHIV-FM in New Orleans, Louisiana. We are Radio Nola HIV with programming dedicated to human rights and social justice. WHIVFM.org. We honor independent voices. End all wars. Hi, this is James McField, the pianist, former music director and pianist for Michael Jackson and his brothers, the famous Jacksons. You are listening to 102.3 WHIV LP, New Orleans Community Radio, dedicated to human rights and social justice. And all wars. Good afternoon. This is Jamie Bernstein from the Offer Radio Hour. I want to remind you to support WHIV LP New Orleans because it is New Orleans' only radio station dedicated to human rights and social justice. And by the way, I am not just a host of a radio show here. I am also a member. You, too, can become a member by going to our website, whivfm.org, and clicking Donate. This is 102.3 WHIVLP-FM in New Orleans. We are a community radio dedicated to human rights and social justice. Please consider donating at whivfm.org. It's communities like ours that help to support progressive programming. At WHIV, we support ending all wars. My name is Annie. I've been with Dale and Laura the good Dale is in the lodge and he can't leave. Write it in your diary. That garden trailer is more popular than Uncle's Day in our house. You see what I mean? Teresa Banks had a ring. Any idea what happened to it? We got a phone here. It's got a little ring. i 
You want to hear about our specials? We don't have any. This is the farmer's name. Oh, believe me, I follow. Is this the Yes, sir. How long? Not long. How long? Yes, sir. Because you shall reap 
stretch his soul. How long? Not long. How long? Too far on the scaffold, long way on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the village where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible twist sword. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Yeah. Glory, hallelujah. Not Glory, hallelujah. I'm Choice Rhymes, and I'm from Black Doe Family, and you are listening to 102.3 WHIVLP in New Orleans, a community radio station dedicated to human rights and social justice. And as Tupac once said, I still see no changes. Can a brother get a little peace? It's war in the streets and the war in the Middle East. Instead of war on poverty, they got a war on drugs so the police can buy the meat. Peace, y'all, in our wars. Yeah.
This is 102.3 WHIVLPFM in New Orleans. We are a community radio dedicated to human rights and social justice. Please consider donating at WHIVFM.org. It's communities like ours that help to support progressive programming. At WHIV, we support ending all wars. Hold on, hold on, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. When Martin went to jail, the judge wouldn't let him bail. She didn't make no fuss Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on Hold on Hold on Hold on Hold on Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on Hold on Hold on Hold on Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on Freedom's name is mighty sweet And soon we're all gonna meet Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on I got my mind on liberty
straight to hell, boy. Go straight to hell, boy. Go straight to hell, boy.
My name is Jay, and you're listening to 102.3 WHIV LP in New Orleans. We are a community radio station dedicated to human rights and social justice. This next song is a classic by the famous Manu Chao, who sings about immigration and the difficulties immigrants face through oppression and discrimination. So here's Clandestino for your listening pleasure. Soy una raya en el mar, fantasma en la ciudad, mi vida va prohibida, dice la autoridad. Solo voy con mi pena, sola va mi condena, correré mi destino por no llevar papel, perdido en el corazón de la grande pabilón. Me dicen el clandestino, yo soy el quiebra ley, mano negra clandestina, peruano clandestino, africano clandestino, marihuana ilegal. Solo voy con mi pena, sola va mi condena, correré mi destino. Para burlar la ley, perdido en el corazón de la grande papilón, me dicen el clandestino por no llevar papel, argelino clandestino, nigeriano clandestino, boliviano clandestino, mano negra ilegal. This is Melissa DeRazio 
from the Dirty Rain Revelers in New Orleans, and you are listening to 102.3 WHIVLP New Orleans, a community radio station dedicated to human rights and social justice. And as Howard Zinn once said, how can you have a war on terrorism when war itself is terrorism? End all wars. Modern vampires are the city, anti-blood, blood, blood. You could have come from Rima, I you come from Jungle. Could have come from Firehouse, I you come from Tower Hill. One blood, one blood, one blood. You could have come from Libya, I you come from America. Could have come from Europe, I you come from Africa. One blood, one blood. One blood. You could have be an Irishman or an Englishman. Could have be a Mexican or a weather Indian. One blood. One blood. One blood. Hey, mate. Oh, I want you to grip me straight. Operate. Hey, mate. Hey, mate. I want you to get me straight. Hey, come. Such a man, Nara, with the policeman, Nara, with the civilian, said they will away a one, one blood, one blood, one blood. You could have come from London, or you come from Birmingham, could have come from Brooklyn, or you come from Boston, one blood, one blood, one blood. The first thing in
No, is it on? No, did you put the on button? It's an on button. Yeah, yes, fine. Yes, okay, so you're listening to 102.3 WHIVLP in New Orleans. Would you put that down? It's hot. Yes. Just now this radio here, it's community radio and it's dedicated to human rights and social justice. So social justice. We'll just look it up later. You can Google it. We want to end all wars. It's very important. I am going to end you in two seconds if you don't put that down. I swear to God. Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives. I'm your host, Richard Wolff. I bring this program to you in the hopes that an analysis of what's happening in the economy we all depend on is a useful part of your life as it is of mine. Today, I want to spend the entirety of our program on a topic that many of you have asked me to talk about and that is in the news more and more each day. It's called universal basic income. It's the idea, that isn't all that new, that in a society which seems to be unable or unwilling to provide meaningful work for all the people, what do you do with the people for whom such work is not provided, who cannot or will not for whatever reason find a place in the workforce. And there have been many efforts to deal with this situation for hundreds of years. One of the ones that is most widely known gets the name guaranteed minimum income, or sometimes just welfare. And here the idea, very old, is that for those people who either have no work and therefore don't earn any money, or in a modern capitalist system have a job but are paid so little that they cannot live, especially not if they're part of a family, that some assistance is provided. You aid the poor, working poor, unemployed poor, and you kind of help them out, sometimes with cash, sometimes with services, and so on. The problems with this are very well known, just to mention them. One, it creates a split in the society between those who earn their living by working, and that's all that they can earn is by working, and that's all their income, and those who have either part or all of their income without working. Wow. What this does is develop Jealousies, envies, tensions, and bitternesses often between people so different in modern society as that. Then you have the added problem, which is, if you're going to sustain poor people by effectively a transfer payment, a gift of money or goods, then the question is, who pays for that? You could tax corporations and the rich, since they're the ones either not employing or not paying the mass of people enough to avoid this problem. But typically, the corporations and the rich don't want to pay 
for the sustenance of the poor, and so they shift the burden onto the mass of workers. Now you get that famous situation in which particularly right-wing politicians can go after that situation, telling the people who have a job that they're paying taxes to support people who earn an income without working so you can play on the tension between these two. Of course, the proper response would have been, if you don't want to be a worker who pays for the unemployed or the poor, then make sure the people who are most responsible for their being unemployed and poor pay for it. In other words, the issue is the burden of taxation, not the existence of it. Well, this kind of tension, which has dogged welfare systems from day one, has led to this other idea called the universal basic income. And here's how it's different. In this idea, you don't give poor people money because they're poor, because they have no job, or they're paid so little for their work. Instead, you give everyone a flat lump sum of money. A universal basic income could be in kind, but mostly these ideas are about money. And the idea here is you're not going to set up tension because everybody gets it. Everybody gets it equally, by the way, is this idea. Not some more, some less. No, everybody gets a basic amount of money, and they get that because they're a citizen. They get that because they're a person in the community. Some people seem to think that this is a radical new idea. It isn't very radical, and it is certainly not new. It has been tried in a variety of countries at a very variety of times. There was a recent experiment in Finland that has got quite a bit of attention in recent months. But in actuality, and I found this remarkable in preparing this program, the biggest and best and longest modern example is right here in the United States, although it appears that many Americans are not aware of it. Here's what I'm talking about. In 1982, the state of Alaska made a decision to do something which it has done ever since. So we're talking almost 40 years of experience. Over these 40 years, the state of Alaska developed something called the Alaska Permanent Fund. To make it simple, they taxed the oil that was found underneath the soil and water of Alaska, very rich deposit worth billions and billions of dollars. They taxed it, a small tax on it, to produce a fund. And the fund was then invested. And the idea was these are the resources of the state of Alaska. Nobody put them there. Uh, that's living or that's around today or ever, for that matter. And so it's, in a sense, a resource, a national or natural resource. And so here's what's done. The income earned by that fund, invested as any fund would be, is distributed to every citizen of Alaska, the same amount each person. That's been going on, as I say, almost 40 years. At its height in 2015, when the price of oil was high, it worked out to $2,072 per person, which meant for a family of four, a little bit over $8,000 was simply given to them and to everybody else equally. 
it's been as low as 800 to $900 per person per year. So the question arose right away, particularly by people who were fearful about this. Well, this didn't do any good. It didn't, um, it didn't solve problems. In Whatever the argument is, two professors, Damon Jones of the University of Chicago and Ioana Marinescu of the University of Pennsylvania, found that doing this had no effect on employment. Why did they ask that question? Because right-wing critics of these ideas argue that if you give people money just as a citizen, well, then they won't bother to work, and we will have people withdrawing from labor. And this research showed showed crystal clearly that nothing like that happened in Alaska. You gave people money, they didn't stop working or reduce their work commitment at all. What are the arguments for this? Well, oil is nobody's output. It's there before human beings were. So it's a way of sharing the benefit without letting a few people make a fortune while everybody else gets nothing out of this natural resource. It means, of course, that you have less inequality because you're giving the same amount of money to a poor person for whom it means the world as you are to a rich person for whom it means pocket change. So it is a way of reducing inequality. It also removes extreme poverty. It means people can't fall below a certain amount, and in the case of 2015 at least, $8,000 for a family was nothing to, to sneeze at, even though prices in Alaska are higher generally than they are elsewhere in the United States. Okay, and here's a last conclusion about Alaska. What Alaska did, anyone can do. Any one of the other 49 states can do it too. What do you do? You tax land, you tax corporate profits, you tax wealthy people, you put together a fund, you invest the fund, and then you distribute the amount of money. One person gets the same as every other person. Why is it being discussed now? Well, the truth of it is, and this is very important, because there are now fears that we are about to enter into another period of time when capitalism as an economic system brings us technical improvements, things that make it easier for human beings to produce goods and services, but the byproduct is unemployment. Today, the most fanciful ideas are raised that artificial intelligence and the computer and robots, you put all that together... And there have been estimates that something like 47% of jobs that exist today will not be there 10 or 20 years from now because they will have been automated out of existence. The way computers automated lots of jobs, the way machines automated lots of jobs, and so on. And the great fear is that capitalism is a system that seems to accompany technological advance with plunging masses of people into unemployment, which, by the way, is a profound criticism of capitalism. And the idea is, oh my God, masses of people without work, masses of people that therefore have no income, they will become a threat to the system itself out of their misery and their deprivation, and something has to be done, and whoops, here we go, we get Welfare ideas, but we also get UBI, universal basic income, as a way at least 
to pacify these people, to give them enough that they don't have the rage of extreme poverty that might threaten the system. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Is it really necessary to have this conversation? Whatever you think about the goods or bads of doing something like this, here's a fundamental question. Do we have to have a system, an economic system, in which the good thing, technological advance, being able with less effort by human beings to produce as much or more than used to take much more effort, when we have technical change and we can make human beings more productive, meaning that we don't have to put as much time and trouble and toil and effort and sweat into producing the goods that we need to consume, is there a way to take advantage of that that doesn't throw large numbers of people out of work and in a way make them expendable, throw them out of the economic system so that we're worried about them, hopefully on the humanitarian basis, my goodness, technological advance through no fault of theirs plunges them into unemployment, seems on the face of it immoral, unethical, and unfair. And if on top of it, we say that it's inevitable that somehow, if we're going to have progress, well, this is the price we pay, it leads us to ask a question, which I hope is in all of your minds. Could we not have an economic system that was able to capture the benefits of technological change, that was devoted and interested in finding productivity increases, but that didn't have to accompany that good thing with a really bad one, namely the kinds of unemployment, the kinds of deprivation, the kinds of poverty that lead human beings, well-intentioned human beings, to think about welfare and to think about a universal basic income. In the second half of today's program, we're going to answer that question. We're going to analyze what it is about capitalism that produces this sad unemployment poverty alongside the positive of productivity increase and how we get there. We will be right back. I would like to take a brief moment to tell you about my latest book. It's called Understanding Marxism. Marx was a social critic who identified capitalism as not an end of human history, but rather merely the latest phase of human history, which, as we now see, needs a transition to something better. You can get your copy of Understanding Marxism today by simply going to lulu.com, that's L-U-L-U dot com, and searching for Understanding Marxism by me, Richard D. Wolff. We are also very proud that this book is the first one published by our group, Democracy at Work. And we're proud to be able to bring it to you at this time. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's Economic Update. This is a program devoted to an in-depth analysis of the universal basic income proposition. Once again, the notion that a better way to deal with inequality in our system, a better way to deal with the mass of people who don't have an income because they have no job and have run out of unemployment benefits if they were entitled to them, or the, the people who have a job, the working poor, but are paid so little that they really have a hard time making ends meet on a basic level. 
And we have millions of those people in the United States.